0: Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you. Lord, we just thank you so much for your great love. Lord, we thank you for your patience with us. Yeah, as, as Ryan was speaking, Lord, there's so much in our lives that are very unresolved. Uh, Lord, our hope is not to be resolved. Our hope is not to fix all of our problems, to figure everything out, to be perfect, Lord, this side of eternity. That's not our goal. Uh, Lord, but our goal is you, and, and to grow in our faith, to grow in our understanding of how your great love for us, the work that you are doing in us, in our, in our suffering, and in our glory as well. Lord, we, just, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the way that it convicts and teaches us. So Lord, please, convict and teach us this morning. Open up your word to us. Help us to get a picture of what it is that you've called us to in this day and age and in the culture that we live. Uh, Lord, just be with us. In your name, amen. Well, if you are visiting with us this morning, welcome to the church. My name is Lawrence. I'm one of the pastors here in the church, and you are just in time for a new series here on the book of Daniel. Uh, George was just here preaching through Revelation, the other pastor. He's now gone to St. Paul to give that same series in Revelation there, and I've just finished up in St. Paul and get to come here to Minneapolis and, and give this series on, on the book of Daniel, which is really exciting. I hope you like your Old Testament. If you don't, I hope you will start to like your Old Testament. This is one of those great stories, right? One of the greatest stories of the Bible uh, that's been really held near and dear to countless, countless believers, right? And gives hope and courage in the midst of so much. If you have your Bible with you, open it up to Daniel chapter 1. If you don't have your Bible with you, we will go through it on the screen as well, but it's always nice to... Sometimes have a text in front of you or a phone app or something. But Daniel 1, if you have a Bible, open it up to Daniel chapter 1. This is how the book of Daniel begins. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, and with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility youths without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. Sorry, I didn't advance the slide there if you are reading on the screen. But what you see here, right, is this this picture of Israel. Everything has fallen apart for them, right? It's easy to skip over some of these early verses of a narrative like this and just not really let it sink in what has happened. But if you know anything of the history of Israel, if you know anything of Scripture, of the Bible, I mean, from... Genesis 1, right, God has been promising his people, right? I mean, all of Scripture, all of the Old Testament is this promise of God. And from the very beginning, he has always been promising them, I'm your God, you are my people, I will take care of you, I have good in store for you, and I have a place for you. And I will plant you in that place. I will lead you to a place of milk and honey, a place of security and safety, a place where you can dwell with me. He gave them a picture of that in the Exodus, right? He took them out of Egypt and he said, right, like, no, I really am yours. I am your God who will always protect you, always take care of you. I'll take you out of the hand of Egypt and I will lovingly place you in the place that I have for you, this land I have for you. And Israel experiences that. They enter into the land through Joshua. They build a kingdom under David, right? I mean, just even that alone, they're really a kingdom under Solomon, right? They are one of the greatest kingdoms of the world. Every nation is coming to see the wisdom and greatness of Solomon's temple and of his buildings. They are bowing down before him. I mean, they are experiencing so much. But if you also know the history of Israel, that during that time, while they're experiencing the promises of God in a physical sense, Right, they are far from God in a spiritual sense. And their hearts, they're constantly turning to other gods. They're constantly worshiping other gods and they constantly are experiencing the shame and the oppression that comes from this. Right, Even going back to the time of the judges, right, they worship other gods, they get oppressed. God delivers them in his graciousness and they go right back into that cycle. And now everything has come to an end. Right, When you just see this, Nebuchadnezzar besieges Jerusalem and the history of Israel, this great kingdom under David, it slowly keeps shrinking down to finally you just have one city left, Jerusalem, and that's it. And you have a king, Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, this final last great king, his son and all they have is one city and that's it. Just that's all that's left of this people of God is their one little city of Jerusalem. And they have the temple of the Lord, though. What could happen to us? God is with us. The temple is here. The Ark of the Covenant. And Babylon comes, and they besiege the city. Even that, right, we think, we just gloss through, in you know, a besieging of an ancient city, right? The devastation and the killing and the disease and the heartache. Read Lamentations, And right? I mean, it is, it is a horrific scene, the besieging of Jerusalem and the death in the streets. And it falls. The city of God falls, And the temple is desecrated. They go into the temple, into the Holy of Holies, and they take whatever they want. And it's over. That's the end of it all. I mean, if if you've been reading the Old Testament, if you're a people of God, it's like, this is it. It's done. God's promise is over. And you have this generation taken away. Daniel and his friends, these 10,000, these royal and noble men who could have served as king, They're in the line of, they could be it. Babylon takes away the very best, the very brightest, and he takes them back to Babylon, and they give them everything. Nebuchadnezzar, and we're going to talk a lot about Nebuchadnezzar because the book of Daniel talks a lot about Nebuchadnezzar. He's arguably, many historians would argue, the greatest king who's ever ruled an empire. He's incredibly successful, And one of the most successful kings, and part of that is because of this policy, the way that he handles conquering nations. He doesn't just kill everybody in a nation. He goes in and he takes away the best and the brightest. He doesn't just imprison them. The Assyrians did that. The Assyrians were coming through the northern kingdom and they were, oh, that was the worst. The Babylonians weren't as bad. They would take away the best and the brightest and then they would bring them to their home and they would give them freedom. They would give them everything. They weren't in chains. They didn't chain up the nobility. In fact, they enrolled them in their schools. They gave them a life. They gave them food. They gave them jobs. They gave them great places to stay. They just gave them everything. That was Nebuchadnezzar's policy, right, of winning over conquered kingdoms. And he was very successful in this, of winning over conquered kingdoms, because he would bring the best back and just lavish them with everything they could ever need And that's what he does. Herodotus, the ancient historian, talks about this education that they're, they're about to receive is the best education the ancient world could possibly offer. So you find yourself, right, if you can just imagine that culture shift, you were living in this very small place with very little hope, watching people die, knowing that death was imminent, to now finding yourself in the greatest school in the world with everything given to you Job, education, money, food, places, and that food, the king's table, that is, it's this representation of just the richness of your life. You are lacking nothing. (laughs) The food that the king eats is now your food. You are not living the life of a slave. You are not living the life, right, that you kind of imagine that you're gonna have. Instead, you are getting everything given to you. And then, They are given new names to kind of seal all of this together. Daniel, whose name means God is my judge, is now named Belshazzar, which means Bel protects his life. So, Bel, the God of Nebuchadnezzar. Hananiah, the Lord is gracious, is his name, changes to Shadrach, which means I serve at the command of Aku, another Babylonian God. Mishael, who who is what God is? What a great question, right? Has changed his name to Meshach, which is who is what Aku is. It's just this changing of of the gods within their names. Azariah's name is the Lord as a helper, changes to Abednego, which is a servant of Nebo. So this changing of names, and if you know anything of cultural and enslavements, this is a really common practice. How do you kill somebody's worldview? How do you change so much of their life? You change their name. And so the Babylonians here are changing their names to change their outlook, to make them look to somewhere else for their security and for their comfort, for their meaning, for their purpose. Nebuchadnezzar will do this continually as well, you know, try to get them to look to him for their security, for their comfort, for their purpose. And here he's changing the names. Look elsewhere. And so this question right out of the first opening narrative, what will they do? How will you respond to this? How would you respond to this, right? If you really are imaginative and think of this, how would you live? How would you respond to being taken away, stripped of everything, foreign land, a foreign nation? And some of you may have actually experienced this as immigrants or as a lot of people in our world and in our country are actually experiencing this right now taken away, no longer in your home, and then just being inundated, flooded with riches that you never thought you would ever have in your life. And now you're experiencing them. What will you do? Verse 8. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself Test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you, and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for ten days. At the end of ten days it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths. Who ate the king's food? So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink, and gave them vegetables. This is their response: "I'm not going to eat the meat." It's an interesting pattern that we're going to start to see develop. Right? This is our first instance where we start to see how Daniel and his friends are going to live in exile. And it's a very interesting pattern of rebellion against their authorities. They're very, they're, in a lot of ways, they rebel against the authority all the way through, right? They don't do what they're told, but they do it in such a weird way, right? It's a kind of a surprising way. The one that the narrative here is telling us is that they clearly kept their names, even though they're going to take on Babylonian names. The author continues to call them by their Jewish names. They, they hold on to their names, and eventually, Nebuchadnezzar is going to switch. He'll, he'll start referring to Daniel by Daniel, and you won't call him Belshazzar. They keep their names, and then they won't eat the food. Which of all the things, right, they, they don't mind being brainwashed, right? They don't mind taking all of these courses. They don't mind working amongst, living amongst Interacting with the Chaldeans who worship other gods, and we're going to teach them all of these other gods and teach them to worship other gods. They're not going to rebel in that way, but they're just not going to eat certain food. And now we don't know if the, that meat was offered to other gods. I don't know if it matters quite so much if it was offered to other gods or if it's the fact that it's unkosher. Who knows? But Daniel has definitely he he said, "We're not going to do this. I'm not going to eat the food. I'm not going to eat the meat." And so the rebellion, what we kind of start to see within it is that it has a very hidden nature, right? But it also has a very visible outcome to things. Outwardly, they look the same, if not better. Outwardly, they're doing everything that their classmates are doing. Outwardly, they look Babylonian. Inwardly, though, they are very different. They won't defile themselves inwardly. And there's this reversal of power, right? This reversal of security. They're fasting. They're saying, the meat doesn't sustain me. Now eventually he's going to start eating the meat and drinking the wine. We find that because again, at the end of his life, he again takes another fast. He says, I won't eat the meat or the wine again. So it's not forever he's going to do this. But he's doing this now at the beginning of his time here. And it is, I'll show you who sustains me. Your food doesn't sustain me. Your food is not what gives me power. King, your table is not where I find my wealth from, my security from, my purpose and my meaning from. I don't find it from this way. I find it from our God. And so this rebellion of Daniel and his friends is gonna center around giving up good things, right, for the sake of better things. Giving up privilege. Giving up what in the eyes of the culture and with even within the community are viewed as good and fine giving them up for the sake of something greater and something better resolving not to be defiled not to lose sight of god to not forget where life really comes from where hope truly comes from and this is going to be true of daniel his whole life he will not forget his god verse 17 as for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar, and the king spoke with them. Could you imagine? And among all of them, none was found. Like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. It works (laughs) for them, right? It works for them. They're found 10 times better. They get favor. They find favor in the eyes of God, right? And the author clearly wants you to see that, that God gave them wisdom. God gave them understanding. They find favor with God, and they find favor with the greatest king in human history. (laughs) They stood before that king and found favor in his eyes, you are 10 times better than anybody else in my kingdom. Wow. And in a lot of ways, this is exactly an answer to prayer. Solomon prays at the dedication of the temple, right, they already know what's coming for them. And at the dedication, he, he prays that in the exile that eventually will come for his people, right, that they will find mercy, that they will find favor. And here you have it. Daniel and his friends are finding that mercy. They're finding that favor, They're found 10 times better. And Daniel gets to see the end. He will serve, right? It says there in verse 21, and Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Meaning, Daniel will make it. He will live through the entire exile from the very beginning to the very end. He will see, he will witness the Jews go home. What favor, right? What a blessing from God that he was given this. So we're confronted with this narrative of Daniel. Right, We see it, and we can identify with the picture very easily in a lot of ways. Some of us easier than others, depending on your cultural backgrounds and your own life and what you've done. Some of us may feel very much like Daniel, not at home, in a place that we didn't choose, ended up here through a long series of choices of us and by others, and we find ourselves in a place we never thought we would be, doing things we never thought we would do. When we think about that even of Daniel, he's technically a magician, a sorcerer, right? In a foreign land. Like that, that alone is against Levitical code. Like he's, I mean, his job is breaking the Pentateuch but he's not batting an eyelash at it. (laughs) He's staying, he's keeping this job, but at the same time, inwardly, he will not defile himself. I mean, some of us have found ourselves in that, doing things, being in a place, finding ourselves. You're like, oh, how did I even get here? How am I supposed to be faithful in this context that I've just found myself in? For the others of us, we just may feel like the Babylonians, not even quite realizing (laughs) what we even have until exiles come and live amongst us. And we do oftentimes, right, I think we look at this culture and I can relate with the culture of Babylon, right? You just came out of Revelation and George giving you this picture of Babylon and the Revelation and in so many ways this is Babylon and in so many ways, right, what we live in a world that seeks to just frankly, right, overwhelm us with good, overwhelm us with wealth, overwhelm us with what is good in the eyes of man, what is a delight to the heart, what is a delight for everybody. And we're overwhelmed by it and not knowing what to do. We know we're called to walk in wisdom in this world. We know that we're called to walk in truth and in love as communities, right? And we experience this more and more. I mean, George just gave us that vision last week of the church in exile. How can we hold to the truth? How can we be faithful? We know we're called to do that. But as I read this about Daniel, And I I see how he refused to be defiled. I know that that's my calling too. Our calling is to not be defiled, to live very distinct, very holy lives, to live extraordinary lives, right? We went through the teachings of Jesus and this community of disciples to be extraordinary, to be different, to live in a kingdom while living in an empire. I I mean, I, I get it. I know what I'm called to do, and ultimately I know that there will be favor and blessing at the end of it. That's what I'm called to do. I receive that. But if I'm honest with myself, right, if I really look at the story of Daniel and these exiles, as a child, right, growing up Christian, maybe many of you maybe grew up Christian or hearing these stories. This is the common, right, child story. Everyone loves to teach their kids the story of Daniel. And the message is always the same, right, be Daniel, don't defile yourself whenever you go off. If you're going off to college, don't defile yourself. If you're going to public school, don't defile yourself there, right? Resolve in your heart, you can do this like Daniel and if you do, then you will find favor and blessing. It's too late. I've gone to all those places and I defiled myself in all of them, (laughs) right? I, 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 I don't think it's possible for me anymore. I don't, I don't live like Daniel. As much as I know that I should, right, as, as much as I know what I'm called to do, I don't. I live like the Babylonians, right? I am a Babylonian. I can't identify with him, right? I, I live very indistinct private lives, right? My, life, my private life is very indistinct from anybody else who claims any other belief system. Outwardly, I look different, right? Because I'm a preacher, because I'm a minister, because I'm in a church, because I have a family of God, right? Outwardly, I may look very, very different, but inwardly, my heart is wired very much of the exact same as everyone else in my culture. I have been thoroughly brainwashed, right? I'm thoroughly defiled. I've eaten the food, I've called on other names for protection, right, in my suffering. I've called upon money, jobs, politics, whatever it is, to save me, right, before I've called on Yahweh to save me. We don't live like Daniel, right? We know what we're supposed to do in a church. We know the church is called to live like Daniel, but we don't. And we don't because ultimately we're really afraid Right? Could you imagine being Daniel? I mean, if you really tried to live like this, I mean, it's, it's, it's terrifying to try to live this way. I'm afraid of not enjoying life. That's the greatest fear of probably most people in American culture is that they will not have a good life. They won't be able to have fun. Right, like we're fine following Jesus as long as I also get to enjoy things, right? I mean, I'm I'm fine with being a follower. I'm fine with doing a lot of things, but please let me still have fun, right? You wouldn't take away, right? Following Jesus doesn't mean you're gonna take away my hobbies, does it? (laughs) Following Jesus doesn't mean I'm gonna not be able to like, you know, just do the, I, I still get to eat really good food, right? I mean, I still get to go and enjoy nights out. I still get to and play games. I still get to go to sporting events. I still get to, right? Like, I mean, following Jesus doesn't mean I'm gonna have to give up those things, right? And I think most of us, when we come to Christ, we always have this impression that God just wants us to give up the bad things in our life, right? The stuff that we know are bad, and stop doing those things. Like I get it. I'm gonna stop drinking too much. But thankfully I still get to drink some. Or I get it, I'm gonna stop lying. Okay, I get that. I'll stop doing those things. But I still get to kind of, you know, twist the truth to have fun at times. But we're we're comfortable with God requiring us to give us give up things that we don't want anyway, but he never would ask me to give up things that I actually enjoy, would he? <laughs> That's what Daniel and his friends are doing. They're giving up good things, really good things. I don't want to do that because I want to enjoy this life. I want to have enough. That, that, That fear of not having enough. Oh, talk about panic attacks. Will I have enough? What would happen if I quit this job? What would happen if I retire tomorrow? What will happen if I do this? Would I have enough? I can't speak straight and truthfully to my boss (laughs) because what if I got fired? What if I don't get a promotion? What if I don't, what if I pass on a raise? Could you imagine that? Who passes on a raise? No, no, no. And because there's no going down that level. Once I start making more and more money, right? There's no going backwards. That's just now my new floor. I only go up from there. It's hard to imagine that. And ultimately, we really have this fear of not being enough, right? I mean, like that finding favor in people's eyes. What Daniel receives is ultimately what I desperately want, to stand before whoever it is. Insert name here, right? Nebuchadnezzar, dad, boss, and be told, right? You're ten times better. Oh, that <laughs> makes my heart sing. That's what I want so badly, is to be told, you're 10 times better. So I will compromise myself to get that. I will defile myself with good things so I can hear that praise, that I can be told, you're better. My protest, the protest of the church, right, our rebellion historically and currently, right, oftentimes is a very public protest, Right, We publicly protest a lot of things, if it's however. <laughs> we'll be very public with those, but inwardly, privately, we are enslaved. Which is the difference with Daniel. Outwardly, he is enslaved. Outwardly, he is Babylonian. Outwardly, he is not living as a Jew. Inwardly, he is fully faithful. He will not be compromised inwardly. He does not publicly rebel he does not publicly protest he doesn't go before the king or before the eunuch and say right like hey i won't be a magician i won't serve this faithless king i'll rather die before i right like that's what you expect a martyr to do i'll die before i serve this king who's destroying his home his homeland no right he says i won't eat your food <laughs> it's weird it's a weird protest we don't protest that way. We protest publicly and inwardly. We, we get enslaved to good things all the time. We don't even think we're enslaved. We don't even recognize it. We talk a big game, but in our heart, there's very, very little distinction. Or we give up things. Some of us are really good at fasting like Daniel, but we don't do it to be, <laughs> we don't do it for the same reasons, right? We do, it, we do it to find favor. We don't do it to stay distinct. We do it because it's going to set us apart, not because we are set apart and we want to remember who we are. We don't fast that way. We do it so that we can make sure to be seen properly. So what's the hope, right? Why read Daniel (laughs) if all it does is just remind me of how much I'm not like Daniel, but how much I'm called to be Daniel too. I mean, the the calling of the wisdom literature is very clear. And this is in the writings. Daniel's a writing. It's in that last section of the Bible, according to the Jews. In our Bibles, most of our, our Bibles are translated off a different kind of ordering of things and it's among the prophets, but the Jews kept it amongst the writings, meaning there's wisdom to be gained from this. Now, it has prophetic pictures as well, which we'll get to at the end, of, uh, really the same as Revelation does. But the Jews would read this, and they hear, they hear the stories of living in exile, and that's to inspire in them hope for living in exile in the same way. So what's our hope as we read this? If I can't be Daniel, what can I be? And the point of the story, because very few people, right, are ever going to be Daniel, are ever going to be in the same position as Daniel. None of us, right, are heirs to a throne that we can't see <laughs> carried away into a foreign land and have to live there and given positions of power. I mean, very few of us are going to find ourselves all of, a sudden, second, all of a sudden as like the second in command of America, you know. I mean, we're not going to find ourselves living in the same positions that Daniel did. So what's the point Well, and as the Jews would have read this story, and as we, right, as Christians read this story, we can't help but be reminded of another prince who finds himself in exile, right? Another ruler who is destined to rule, but instead of ruling, finds himself in another place, right? I mean, the the story reminds us of Jesus. And when you look at Jesus and you look at Daniel in the same context, it really does open up a lot of the story, a lot of the narrative for us born to rule. Both of them were. But Daniel being carried away from his home by force. Christ willingly leaves his home. He willingly goes to the Babylonians (laughs) to dwell among a people that will ultimately reject his rule. Daniel was offered everything the Babylonians could offer him. Jesus was offered everything Everything in the world, literally, right? In the desert. If you know that narrative, Jesus in the desert with Satan offered everything. I will give you everything, he said, right? Just bow to me and I will give you everything. Daniel wasn't defiled, he wasn't defiled by eating the meat. Jesus wasn't defiled, right? You want to look at a life of cleanliness, right? Of not being defiled by what the world offers. He wasn't defiled by the wealth or blessings of the world, but rather lived, chose to live a life of poverty. This world had nothing on him. He didn't even have a roof over his head, right? Nothing. He chose a life of utter poverty so as not to be defiled. Daniel leaves the king's table to a certain extent. But could you imagine Christ left his father's table in order to invite us into this ultimate feast? Nobody else gets to join Daniel in the feast. Right? Eventually, Daniel gets to go back to that table and eat. And that's great. Good for you, Daniel. Everybody else was already there. Jesus will leave his father's table. He will leave the banquet of the king, and he will come back But with him, he will carry with him, right? He will bring back with him everyone who is in exile gets to enjoy the feast because of Jesus. Endured every temptation without being defiled. Daniel endured temptation. Jesus will endure all of it so that we will always have the true king's favor. Because Jesus earned the favor, right? If anybody ever earned favor with a king, If anyone ever earned favor, it was Christ. He earned the favor from man and from God, right? He did it. He is the only one who deserves man's praise and God's praise, all of the favor of the king and of man, but instead of receiving it, look at the life of Christ. He didn't receive the praise of man or of God. He suffers and is rejected. He experiences both rejection from man and from God. On the cross, Jesus endures the rejection that was meant for me so that I will never experience that same rejection. He earns the favor that I'm so desperate to crave. I want so badly to hear, right, well done. You are ten times better. He earns it but doesn't receive the blessing. Instead, takes the suffering and the rejection of somebody who failed God, which is me, and trades places with me. Trades places so I receive that favor. I hear that voice that says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. So what does that mean for us? If this is true, right, if, this, if the narrative of Jesus is true, right, because it's not just the narrative of Daniel in the Bible, but the narrative of Christ as well, if the good news of Jesus is true, if this is true, if we do have a true and better Daniel, wow. Well, now I look at this world, I look at this life, I have everything I'll ever need. Everything. There is nothing lacking in my life. I have all of the favor I could possibly deserve or ever earn or ever want. I have the true king's favor. I'm not so concerned (laughs) about my boss's favor anymore. I'm not so concerned about my wife's favor I'm not so concerned about my children's favor. I have favor because Christ has secured my favor. He's secured my standing. I no longer live in fear. And it helps us then to identify and look at that in our life. And I think it's it's a helpful exercise, right? If you think about it, you know what are the things in your life that you just do out of fear? That you're afraid to stop doing. You couldn't imagine not doing those things. Good things good things, but you know, you know in your heart there's a check with them, right? You know that these good things aren't helping you. They're not good for you, right? They're permissible things, but they're not good things. It hurts. Long-term, it's hurting you. It's defiling you. What are those good things that you know Christ wants you to give up, but you're afraid to give up? Well, the gospel gives us that strength to identify them and to face them right head on and say, I don't need this. What I thought this was giving me, I already have. I don't need this. I don't have to be afraid of missing out. I don't have to be afraid of not enjoying what everybody else is enjoying I don't have to be afraid of not having enough money. I don't have to be afraid of these things. I can, I have everything. I have everything. I can live that way. What are those areas of your life, right, where you are really called to live in distinction? Because we're all called to this. Well, do you see what the work of Jesus does for us? It helps me. Because even though I'm not Daniel, nor could I ever really be, when I focus on Christ and how he is this better Daniel on my behalf, when I look at the work of Christ and what he has done and how he has secured that favor and that blessing for me, he gave up everything to secure God's favor for us, that I really have nothing to fear. Now you see, right, that actually empowers me. It helps me to live like Daniel. The more and more I focus on Christ, I think about him, and I think of the life that he lived and the hope that I have and how he right, has secured the blessing for me, It quiets me, it comforts me, it strengthens me, right? It strengthens us as we live in exile, right? As we live like Daniel does. That's why the story of Daniel gives them hope. Someone can do this, okay? Well, we know someone who did this even better than Daniel so that I can do this. And I start to quiet down. I start to not be afraid, right? I can identify these good things in my life that I have to give up and I can start giving them up. The greatest rebellion we can do, right, as Christians in this age, right, and I think this is really what George was trying to present for the church, right, the greatest thing we can do while we wait for Christ's return is to not find our value and security, right, in the things that this world says to put your, find your value and your security in. We're not called to live these grand, crazy, outwardly different lives of martyrs that refuse to work, (laughs) And just hunker into kind of communities in the woods. And, you know, that's not what we're called to. That's not what Daniel does. It's not what it looks like to live in exile. I get that impulse. I mean, there are some days, right, where it's like, let's just buy some acreage and live away from the world. That's not what Daniel does. It's not what we're called to do. How could I ever live in this world? I would have to actually believe, right, that I lived in a different world. That I was meant for a different place. That I had a different king. I had a different system. I already had all the favor I need, because look, the way that Daniel and his friends speak to ruling authorities is amazing. right? That chief eunuch even I mean that guy could kill Daniel, and he just says, "I'm not going to eat the meat." And Daniel's like, "Well, don't you know I'll die? You might, but I'm still not going to eat the meat. How disrespectful are you, Daniel? Uh, the three friends, we'll get to the fiery furnace. We don't have to answer you, Nebuchadnezzar. Yes, you do. You're, you're his employees. You have to give him an answer. They're incredibly defiant, but they do what they're, right? They, they, they seek the welfare of their culture. They, they do their jobs amazingly. They, they live these outward lives, right? But inwardly, they have this strength and this confidence and this hope. That's what we're called to. Do you want to live lives of inward confidence and hope? Live lives of true distinction, not just outward lip service, but true inward lives of hope and distinction, right, in this world, well, we have to put our hope in Jesus. We have to stop trying to be Daniel and let Jesus be Daniel for us. We actually have to let Jesus be Jesus. We actually have to let Jesus be our Messiah, earn our salvation for us, and then give it to us and receive it. Receive the favor. Stop trying to earn that favor. You have it you have it what are those things in your life that you're constantly doing to try to earn and deserve favor from people stop you already have the favor wait off right now I can honestly look at the things in my life now, that doesn't mean I'm not going to continue leave fall and continue to go back and that's the history of us that's that is my heart which is why we have such a great savior. Otherwise, this whole system wouldn't work unless he could truly be undefiled and die on my behalf. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your great love and mercy. Lord, we thank you for the calling that you've given us, the purpose that you've given us in this world to live in exile, to live these beautiful, distinct, holy lives, living amongst a culture Lord, loving, seeking the welfare of the city. Lord, we, just, we thank you for that, that weighty calling, this plan and the purpose that you've given your church, the family of God, uh, to be your family, to be your kingdom here, to be your hands and feet, to do these works that you've laid out ahead of time for us. Lord, it's a, it is an amazing purpose and calling that you've given us in this life and in this world. But Lord, we also acknowledge just how overwhelming that feels and how insignificant we feel. And Lord, we are so thankful for you that you do the work and have done the work and have secured the victory for us as this community, Lord, that we know that one day we will be feasting with you at the King's table, that even if we don't get to feast in this life, there will be a feast that waits for us. Lord, that we know that even though, for us, this life is going to involve suffering, that we know that we are going to have to give up good things, acceptable things. We're going to have to give up privileges for the sake of faithfulness. Lord, but we thank you that you never leave us, that you never forsake us, that you have secured for us a great hope. And that all of the trials and suffering of this world are nothing, nothing in comparison with with the glory that awaits us. Lord, strengthen us in this life. Strengthen us in our hope and in our faith. Help us, Lord, to understand your great love for us and what you have done on our behalf. In your name we pray. Amen.